0: Hello, this is the Contractor Coffee Club podcast presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. You can find this podcast in its Apple and Google subscription links, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey on egia.org slash podcast. In today's episode, we'll continue with our discussion about sparking your success.
1: Now, Lucas, we had a survey recently, did we not? We did indeed, yeah, the, uh, the snapshot survey. Tell um, us a little bit about that. Well, so every month, EGIA does the snapshot survey program where we ask our, our, member, our thousands of member contractors about a topic that's vital to contracting companies. Um, could be pricing, could be customer service um could be financial structure service management operations and in fact in december we surveyed our members on financial structure and just wanted to share one of the questions with you mark kind of get your feedback on it because this is financial structure obviously a lot of contractors come up through the kind of the contracting background they don't necessarily have a lot of finance accounting background that sort of thing so right it was
0: there a big was there a big question that was asked then
1: yeah absolutely so we we had a handful of questions and these are all accessible on the Um, snapshot survey monthly report and now the annual report if you're an EGIA member. But just wanted to share this one with you. We asked, does your company have a detailed annual budget? And we found 58% said yes, they do have a detailed annual budget, which means 42% of companies out there that we surveyed do not have a detailed annual budget. And Mark, you have obviously decades of experience in the home services industry. You've got plenty of experience working with annual budgets and probably without annual budgets. Uh, I just wanted to know what your, take on the annual budget is and maybe those numbers in particular 58 percent have it 42 percent don't
0: great question and you know a lot of co- contractors think their company's too small or they're too new to need one of the truth is a detailed budget's always important it helps add stability and financial security to a company it makes scheduling overhead and variable costs much simpler and more predictable it more clearly lays out organizational structure you know with an org chart well here's here's the real distinction when you go from a small to a medium-sized company one of the big challenges is you have when you first start out you have people who are what i call utility infielders they play shortstop one day second base the next they need to do a lot of different things and now all of a sudden when you get to 20 or 30 or 40 50 people you now you need lines of reporting an organizational chart performance appraisals and you need people who are specialists not generalists and the the challenge with that is (laughs) <laughs> the whole structure changes and budgets are absolutely vital in order to do that. So it's simply put a hundred percent of the companies should have a detailed annual, annual budget. One of my favorite phrases is where performance is measured performance improves, but that implies that you have some kind of benchmark and budgets allow you to do that. It, it lets you know if you can spend some money, invest some money on training and education, or, you know, you need to pull back and, or, or buy new software or whatever. And so, The contractors who seem to be the most successful spend a tremendous amount of time planning. And that planning uh, is represented by, uh, you know, budgeting. A lot of times it's, you know, based on last year's performance. But the reality is the best and most successful contractors make the time every single year to put a budget together. And then they can, uh, it helps them make decisions. It simplifies things. And it allows them to, to progress forward. And then at the end of the year, they can take a look back and say, how did we do against the budget? Were we over, were we under? And same is true with sales. The projections and the sales performance need to be estimated and planned. And you're either above plan or below plan. And uh, when I first started selling service agreements, uh, every single month, the company posted a perfor- performance. And I remember the first time I wasn't the top guy, it just drove me crazy. So I, I made a promise to myself, I would never you know, be below the projections of uh, uh, what I thought I could do for the year. And every year I improved, one year was 150% of plan, the second year, 200, third year, 300, and so on. And so I think, huh, you know, again, where performance is measured, performance improves. And when you make, when contractors have enough courage to make uh, their financials transparent, uh, everybody gets to see how we're doing. It's a lot like report cards, really, if you think about it, or scoring averages in basketball, right? We, we need to know how we're doing. And that's what benchmarks and budgets uh, allow us to to assess and observe and analyze.
1: So you're even saying not just having an annual budget, but having kind of a transparent annual budget that you can share with your team. And so your team can sort of get on board and know exactly where you know, money is supposed to be going, money is supposed to be coming in and just kind of it help them guide their behavior and guide their jobs.
0: Yeah, we're either above or below plan. You know, and it, it tends to motivate somebody who's falling a little behind. It tends to empower and engage people who are ahead. So I, I know for me that personally, that was a, that was a real powerful motivator to either speed up or, well, we don't consciously slow down. A lot of guys who hit their sales plan in October take uh, November, December off, but they just don't tell anybody, right? So, yeah. so so much of it is uh, about self-talk, which is a nice segue into uh, uh, the first thing I'd like to talk about this morning, if I could.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is coming from my ebook, Sparking Your Success. We're on chapter four, self-talk. Yeah, we should, we should mention, uh, so if you guys want to hear, this is part two of, of Sparking Your Success, which is sort of Mark adapting one of his uh, acclaimed books for our audience of contractors. Um, we I think about a month ago, we started with part one. We had a couple of guest episodes in between, but so make sure to go back um, in egia.org slash podcast if you want to see all of the past podcasts, but you can go back and listen to part one before before hearing Mark. Continue on in part two here. Yeah, great distinction. So so
0: let's continue. A man is but the product of his thoughts, what he thinks he becomes. Gandhi said that. We all need reminding that words are simply tools. They can build or destroy, empower or shred, inspire or kill our dreams. What words do you habitually use and why? They lift us up or they drag us down? Would you allow someone to come into your house and dump a bag of week old garbage in your living room and then leave? Absurd, isn't it? Yet, don't we do just that when we allow someone to gossip or criticize or be sarcastic or shout or swear at us or even lie to us? We have 60,000 thoughts a day rolling around inside our brain, according to UCLA's Brain Institute, and 75% of those thoughts are negative. Why? We allow garbage in. What do I mean by garbage? Television, radio, billboards, Internet, people, books, magazines, constantly bombarding us with negative messages. We choose to let it all in. What if you monitored your input for a day? What if you took a media break for a week as a test? What do you say when somebody asks you, how are you? What's your habitual response? I was on an elevator in Dallas about to give a presentation to 600 people from John Deere. And I asked a fellow who got on the elevator, how are you today? He sighed as if he was trying to get every molecule of air out of his lungs. Hung his head and said, okay, uh, I guess. He didn't bother to ask me back. I felt sorry for him. He didn't understand the effect of his words and his attitude were having on his day, his week, his month, his year, his life. When I ask the question, how are you today in my public seminars, I hear not bad for a Monday or fair to middling or fine with a tone that tells me otherwise. What if you chose a different response for a week? How about fantastic or tremendous like my late publisher, Charlie Jones used to say or a notch above awesome. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? I understand how about really good or great or grateful what I typically say when somebody asks me I say I'm on this side of the grass I'm so old I don't even buy green bananas anymore that usually gets a chuckle personally I'm fond uh, of what my friend Doug used to say I'm so old I don't even buy green bananas anymore followed by I'm so old I remember when the Dead Sea was sick now He was 92 when I met him, so I thought to myself, that's how I want to be when I grow up, like Doug. But my favorite response is fluctuating with a long pause between fabulous and incredible, but I haven't had my coffee yet, so I expect it to get better. Or I'll say, the best is yet to come, or right as rain, I like that one. That's how I sign every book, the best is yet to come. See, I have a strong belief that I hold close to my heart. The words we used repetition, emotion, and time, R-E-T. I've written that thousands of times, the best is yet to come. And guess what? John Lennon was right. It's getting better all the time. You see, words trigger pictures and bring about emotion. They predict and perpetuate our day's success or our failure. What words are you using on a regular basis? Here's a test. For one week, pay attention to the words you hear other people using. I don't know why it is, it's, it's easier for me to analyze and assess somebody else's self-talk than it is my own. Write them down. Who says what? Who uses words to great effect? What you'll find is that optimists tend to respond differently to that question, how are you today, than pessimists do. What words do you hear in the marketplace? What words do you consistently say aloud or silently each day to yourself? Here's another great place to analyze your self-talk on the golf course or when you're driving Uh, Pardon me, but I repeat myself. What could you substitute instead? What do you say to yourself when you lose? What do you say to yourself when you win? One of my favorite stories was about Babe Ruth. He was the Sultan of SWAT. In 1927, he earned $80,000. That was more than anybody else in Major League Baseball. But at the same time, you need to understand that Ruth hit 60 home runs that year. The rest of the league hit 54 home runs combined. And when asked uh, what he thought of the fact that the $80,000 he was earning was more than Calvin Coolidge, the president of the United States, was making, Ruth's response was simple. How many home runs did he hit last year? And one, one day, uh, he struck out eight times in a doubleheader. And the reporter said, hey, babe, are you a little worried? Ruth said, Ha. Nah. He said, uh, I understand both sides. I used to be a pitcher. He said, you have to understand, I hit a home run in won every, every 11 at bats. He said, I got all my misses out of the way. He said, I wouldn't want to be pitching against me tomorrow. I'm due. Do you hear the self-confidence in Ruth's answer to the question? How's your self-talk? Take a look and see what happens. What's your experience with that, Lucas?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I could not agree more. It's, It's sort of it's all it's all up to you, right? Whatever, whatever you want to accomplish, you have to believe it yourself before you can do it or else, you know, you can't, as I think one of our friends says, you can't do everything right and wind up with the wrong result, right? It doesn't work that way.
0: Right. Well, I remember the first time you and I met, it was, I think it was in New Orleans. And I remember in the first five minutes of our conversation, I remember thinking, this guy's got a great attitude. He's a joy to talk to. And it's funny because when we size somebody up like that, I mean, it happens in an instant, right? My world's divided into two categories, anchors and speedboats. you either pulling me forward or you're dragging me down. And you were a speedboat of the first order, my friend. I
1: appreciate that.
0: Oh, man, it's just obvious as a ham sandwich. I mean, and I you know, got one of the signed
1: books out of the deal, too. So, you
0: know. Oh, dude.
1: And you don't have my new book yet.
0: Wait till I get you that one, Freedom from Fat. We'll talk about that later.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, the next thing I'd like to talk about is habits. First we form habits and they form us. Good habits are hard to form and easy to live with and bad habits are easy to form and hard to live with. How I remember that is carrots are hard, donuts are easy. I mean, I ask audiences when I speak, how many of you agree and know academically, intellectually that uh, carrots are good for it and you should eat them every day? And everybody raises their hand. And then I say, how many of you actually eat carrots every day? And I'm me and usually one other guy are the only ones who raise their hand. And then I say, how many of you know that donuts are bad and you ought not eat them? Then everybody's hand goes up. I said, how many of you eat them anyway? And about three-fourths of the audience raises their hand. You see, we know and we don't do, right? I have my audiences fold their arms. And I ask them, which arm's on top? You ever wonder why you do it that way? Now fold them the other way. And there's always a groan, right? And then I say, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's hard, right? Because I'm forcing you out of your comfort zone. If I ask you to fold your arms a hundred times, you do it that same way every time. But now you're doing it the other way, right? Everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. So what got you here won't take you there. If you're going to maximize your potential, you've got to examine all your habits, all of them. When I first started in sales back in 1987, I was fortunate to stumble across an amazing little booklet entitled The Common Denominator of Success, written by a guy named Albert Gray. This was 1940 see gray was a uh, an insurance salesman who was promoted to sales manager and he realized he really didn't know anything about managing people so he did a tremendous amount of research he read a bunch of books he talked to you know dozens of people Uh, and when i read this little this little five page article it completely changed the way i looked at sales in a nutshell he wrote the common denominator of success the secret of success of every man who's ever been successful lies in the fact that he forms the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do he goes on to say as to calling habits as in sales calls unless you've deliberately formed the habit of calling on people who are able to buy but unwilling to listen then unconsciously you form the habit of calling on people who are willing to listen but unable to buy and what he was really saying was find the person who ha- who's the economic buyer now in in the residential world of contracting retail sales the economic buyer 85% of the time is the woman, not the man. It's the wife, not the husband. And I ask audiences all the time, and women are in the audiences, how many of you have been disrespected by salespeople? And the women all raise their hand. Sharon Roberts wrote a book called Selling to Women, and she she's the one that said 85% of sales are made by the women. What's fascinating is 85% of the books purchased in this country are purchased by women as well. That's kind of a telling statistic so i think it was my second year in sales i interviewed the top salesperson in my industry a man who was selling three times what i was and he said to me i spend time with people who buy the harder they are to see the easier they are to sell and then he said i gotta go and he left he left me standing there with my tape recorder but what he and mr gray were both telling me was find the economic buyer and develop a relationship with him or her guess what when you're new in sales that's really hard right you would be way out of your comfort zone you can only pick the low-hanging fruit so long aristotle said quality is not an act it's a habit excellence is an art won by training and habituation we do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence but we rather we have those because we've acted rightly we are what we repeatedly do excellence he goes on to say then is not an act but a habit one of my heroes is William James. He was the father of American psychology and the most popular professor at Harvard at the turn of the century. In fact, he was Teddy Roosevelt's favorite president, or favorite uh, professor. And he said, why should we think about things that are lovely? Because thinking determines life. It's a common habit to blame life upon the environment. Environment modifies life, but does not govern life. The soul is stronger than its surroundings. He went on to say, the great thing then in all education is to make our nervous system our ally instead of our enemy. It's to fund and capitalize our acquisitions and live at ease upon the interest of the fund. For this, we must take automatic and habitual as early as possible, as many useful actions as we can, and guard against the growing into ways that are likely to be disadvantageous to us, as we should guard against the plague, The more of the details of our daily life we can hand over to consistency and an effortless custody of autonomism or habit the more our higher powers of mind will be set free for their own proper work there's no more miserable human being than one in whom nothing is habitual but indecision and for whom the lighting of every cigar the drinking of every cup the time of rising and going to bed every day and the beginning of every bit of work are subject of express volitional deliberation. And I think what he's saying in very kind of academic terms is what Weldon Long likes to say, the power of consistency. It's about consistency. My late mentor and friend and publisher, Charlie Tremendous Jones, was good friends with Og Mandino. His classic best-selling book, The Greatest Salesman in the World, Og said, I will form good habits and become their slave. And how will I accomplish this difficult feat? Through these scrolls, it will be done, for each scroll contains a principle which will drive a habit, a bad habit, from my life and replace it with one which will bring me closer to success. There it is. Displacement. As long as a habit and routine dictate the pattern of living, new dimensions of the soul will not emerge. Psychologists claim that it takes 21 to 35 days to form a new positive habit, but only two to three days to form a bad one. Now, I find that fascinating here's my short list of positive habits to adopt and as you're listening to this if you can write them down super if you can't listen to this podcast again later and capture these i'll go through them one at a time slowly you see once you've made that one a habit then go back over the list and choose another one your life will explode into change number one eat half portions of your current diet most americans eat way too much than we should whenever somebody Brings the meal or my wife sets the food down in front of me I take half of it and put it in a Tupperware dish number two exercise four times a week do something you can and will do yoga spin basketball weight training swimming something even just walking every day number three make a gratitude list before you go to bed at night write down five things you're grateful for I found by doing this I displace cynicism doubt fear with gratitude and the the irony is the more grateful we are, the more we get. You see, gratitude is an abundance formula. Cynicism fosters lack. Number four, plan your day the night before or first thing in the morning, depending on your for an AM or a PM person. My wife's up at 11 o'clock at night reading the paper. I go to bed about 930. I'm up at five without an alarm. She's a PM, I'm an AM. Which one are you? And in that planning, ask yourself, what are the six most important things you need to do tomorrow? This simple discipline has allowed me to get more done in less time than almost anything else I've ever tried. Number five, review your goals twice a day, AM, PM. Say them aloud, write them out, or visualize. More on that later. Number six, read a book in your field for 20 or 30 minutes each day. This one habit that I began in 1982 completely changed my life and my income. The books you don't read won't help. And people that don't read are no better off than those that don't know how. It's kind of a chosen illiteracy, according to Mark Twain. Number seven, keep a journal or diary for work. What did you learn today? What was the most fun you had? Capture your wins, examine your losses. When I I train salespeople, I encourage them to keep a journal and after every single call, write down what did you do well what could you improve? That five minute debrief after every single call will completely change your personal effectiveness. Number eight, associate with positive people and stay away from the mean or negative ones. Are they speedboats pulling you forward or anchors dragging you down? Life's too short. Hang around anchors. Number nine, pray and meditate daily. Find some quiet time. Turn off the iPhone, TV, radio, and be still. I'm rereading a book called Magnificent Obsession by Lloyd C. Douglas. It was John Wooden's favorite book. He says in there, go to the closet and shut the door. What he's really saying is take the time to just listen, to be still, to wait. Number 10, spend time in nature. Go for a walk on the beach. Walk in the woods, climb a mountain, go off by yourself for some reflection. I do this a couple of times a year. Number 11, keep your word to yourself and others. Integrity. It's okay to say no. Earl Nightingale said, if integrity didn't exist, someone who's surely invented is the fastest way to become wealthy. I thought that was interesting. And finally, number 12, do more than you're paid for. Find ways to add value. Go the extra mile in all your endeavors. One of my earliest mentors was the late Dale Carnegie, a brilliant man, an expert on human condition. He wrote, feeling sorry for yourself and your present condition is not only a waste of energy, but the worst habit you could possibly have. So here's some questions to consider. What specific habits have you adopted that are propelling you forward? What are the good ones? What habit could you adopt that'll increase your effectiveness? And finally, what negative habit do you need to let go of? Warren Buffett said, chains of habit are too light to be felt until
1: they are too heavy to be broken. Your thoughts, Lucas? I keep, I keep thinking about, you mentioned Weldon Long earlier. Um, yes. you know, a friend of ours, obviously an HVAC sales legend. Um, and he always, he has a, a you know, a, an expression that I've heard him say a few times that I always feel like is so apt where he says that, you know, and, and as you mentioned, he's obviously he consistency, he champions consistency, doing the same things, doing the right things over and over again, but that, right. that you need to do, um, to be more successful, everything you should be doing is, is easy. It's just easier not to do those things. Right. And so that's the thing. I mean, doubling, even tripling your sales if you're a salesperson is an easy thing to do if you're doing all the right steps. You know, it's, it's very, it can seem daunting to just go, well, how am I going to triple my sales with no right. you know, action plan in between? But once you lay out the action plan, it's actually very easy to do. It's just easier to not do it, to remain complacent.
0: Well, and there's an important distinction in what you just said. I think it's simple versus easy. Yeah, there you simple go. Simple is just that. It's simple. I make five calls a day. I make 10 calls a day. Yeah. I had the privilege of talking to the folks from Aflac recently and I asked the top producer, I said, why are you so successful? And he said, I make 40 calls a day. I quack loudly every day. Then I offer my clients a choice of yeses. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, I hope everybody heard what he just said. I don't care what you sell. You make 40 calls a day, you'll be wildly successful. So my suggestion is this, pick a number, 5, 10, 15, 20, something, and do it every single day. Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield sold, I don't know, something like 20 million copies of the chicken soup. And I remember talking to Jack one day, and he said, we did five things every single day to market and promote our books. He said, each of us did five things every day for five years. And I thought, there it is.
1: Back to Weldon's quote about consistency. Yeah, and and it's you said, you know, make, if you make 40 calls a day, um, that's, you know, if you're making 10 calls a day and you're wondering how to double your sales, you know, there's ways to become more effective, more efficient in the calls you're making sure. But it kind of stands the reason that at least if you turn 10 calls a day into 20 calls a day, that's going to do something resembling doubling your sales. If you maintain a, you know, the same kind of professionalism, the same success rate, right?
0: Well, absolutely. I remember hearing, uh, reading a story about, um, uh, Tony Robbins, he first went to where he was 19 years old. He went to work for Jim Rohn selling vitamins in Los Angeles. And uh, Rohn gave him the Los Angeles phone book and said, here's your prospect list. You know, make 100 calls a day. Yeah. So Tony made a 1,000. And on the first day, you know, he said, well, you want to buy some vitamins? No. You know, why the F not? And then they'd hang up, <laughs> right? And he said, you know, after a couple of days, he said, I started figuring out what to say and what not to say but he called it massive continuous action. And I like that. So if you're in sales, just pick a number, right? And then commit to it every day. I like the five things a day.
1: Yeah, well, and you're not just going to get, you know, it's not just that you're going to, you know, if, if you convert 10% of your calls or whatever, then, you know, 10 calls versus 20 calls, you're going to double your sales with those 20 calls. It's also, you're going to convert more than 10% or whatever your percentage is. You're going to get better and better, the more, as you say, repetition, right? It's going to make you better and better. So
0: yeah. You know, yeah. When I first started in sales, I I took a guy named Les Dix out to lunch. He'd been the national sales manager of the year at uh, Xerox. And I said, what do I need to do to be successful? And and I was buying lunch, so I figured I'd get some great advice. And he said, "Uh, if your boss says do five proposals a week, you do ten. And I go, what? And he said, yeah. He said, "That's, that's just double your activity. He said, here's the thing, Mark. The first six months, nobody expects you to do anything. And he said, "You're going to learn everything you possibly can by doubling your activity." He said, "This isn't new information. It came from Tom Watson in the teeth of the depression. Double your activity. So uh,
1: it is a numbers game. So how are we doing on time? We got time for one more. Yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to ask you though a quick follow up on the uh, the before because I mean you obviously have you you are you yourself are an HVAC sales legend.
0: Uh, we <laughs> talked about your friend
1: at Affleck uh, giving offering a a choice of yeses, um, I think I've heard you talk about this a little bit before, but could you elaborate on, on what exactly that means for, you know, for people at, at home who might not be familiar with the idea?
0: Absolutely. So a choice of yeses changes the buying dynamic from if I'm going to buy to how. Okay. And so what that means is if I just give you one option, one of the answers is no. But if, you, if I give you three options, now it's, well, which option makes the most sense? It's a choice of yeses, and I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, a gentleman, his name is Cal. He's retired now. Uh, he was running a distributor in the Midwest, and uh, he'd seen me speak a few times, and he said, I think it'd be perfect to train our dealers, and I said, great, some sales training. I said, that'd be exciting, so we had a couple of meetings, and I put a, a pretty good size agreement together for him, and I gave him three options, and back then, I was using gold, silver, bronze, right? That was my... I don't do that now. It's just option one, two, and three, but that's what I was doing. Now you do Bitcoin so, and Litecoin and Ethereum. I <laughs> sure. I take green stamps, you know, you're not all <laughs> old to remember those, but yeah, absolutely. So I laid it all out and we set up a teleconference and he said, man, I really like this gold option. I said, I thought you would, you know, it's pretty comprehensive. It includes, you know, videotaping and you know, books and all that. Right. So he said, but I like the silver price. I said, ah, I said, okay. I said, I guess we're going with the silver then. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I want the gold option for the silver price. I said, I heard what you said. And I said, I want Uma Thurman to stalk me, but that's probably not going to happen. So I guess we're going with the silver. And he, say, he laughed and then he said, well, so you're not going to budge on this thing. I said, no, I'm not. I, that's why I gave you three options. I said, this is exactly the kind of thing I'm going to teach your dealers how to do so you can sell more boxes. And he laughed again and he said, fine. He said, let's go with the gold. I said, good call. I said, did you want to use a check or would you rather, uh, you know, use your credit card? He said, oh, you're good. I said, I know. That's why you're hiring me, (laughs) right? So the choice of yeses completely changes the buying dynamic. There was an interesting study at Harvard with cameras. And they had, in this study, they offered two options, a $79 camera and a $179 camera. And what they found out was there was uh, about a 50-50 split, people buying. Then they added a third option for 279 with lots of features and follow-up and uh, just a, a, a bunch of really great options. And the percentages changed. They went 20% for 279 60% for 179 and 20% for 79 So what happened by offering a third option, not only did they sell more of the most, what the previously most expensive camera was, they sold 20% of the most expensive one at the highest margin. So by just offering an additional choice or two, you completely
1: change the buying dynamic of if I'm going to buy to how. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. And I think I think most contractors are probably familiar with the idea in a bit of a different dynamic of people wanting three options. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty simple. Now, I don't want to go too long because I know we we try to keep these – podcasts to 30 to 40 minutes so if we're going to jump into the next chapter i'm you know it may take us over what, what are your thoughts because we've got some other things to cover don't we we need to talk about we need to talk about las vegas we've got a conference coming up right
1: we have a comment and, and we have a webinar even sooner but we definitely have a conference coming up um I, we would probably have a little more time for but if you want to save for the next time we can do that
0: well let's talk about the conference for a minute we've got epic 2018 in las vegas
1: Absolutely yeah, so that, that stands for educating professionals in Contracting, so it's going to be a complete educational summit. Um, you're here to 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 learn to if you want to learn how to have a more successful business, if you want to take your already successful business to the next level, we have all the tools, all the speakers, all the presentations in place to do that, Mark, you're going to be there, are you not?
0: Yeah, I'll be doing some workshops and we've got the phenomenal roster of of professors. You know, that'll be teaching workshops and seminars. But we've also got, from my understanding, now correct me if I'm wrong, Lucas, but we've got Connie Podesto coming in. She's a social scientist and a humorist. I guess she's an amazing opening keynote speaker. Is that right?
1: Yeah, Connie Podesto. She's, I I mean, she knows sales. She knows mindset. She's the perfect addition to, um, this is the first time she's going to be working with us, but she's, yeah, a psychology of human behavior expert. Um, And so she is going to be able to kind of revamp the way you think about the sales dynamic, the way you think about approaching work every day, um, and then we also have our closing keynote. I think you're familiar with him, Mark um, Aaron Ralston, who inspired. Yeah, the, the guy that
0: did the movie 127 Hours.
1: Yeah, Oscar nominated was... movie 127 Hours. Yeah, Aaron Ralston. He's the one who who was stuck. Uh, in fact, the title of his book is "Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place." He was out hiking, um, got his arm stuck, had to cut off his own arm uh, in order to live, um, and he is now. I mean, he's one of the most in demand kind of motivational speakers out there that kind of experience obviously goes to show you that anyone can adapt and anyone can anyone can make the best of a situation huh yeah, james franco played him in the movie right he did indeed yeah also oscar nominated yeah yeah that's gonna be exciting i can't wait it'll be fun yeah it's gonna be great. do you know do you know what your uh what your topic is for your breakout session already i think i'm gonna talk about
0: uh, customer service excellence but you know i'd have to look at my notes forgive me but i um Oh, I'm not
1: prepared to answer that question. I'm going to do
0: whatever EGA wants me to do. How's that?
1: <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to lie to anybody. So if you don't know, we can no. uh, consult your yeah, notes no. and talk about it next time.
0: Yeah, um, we can do that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, that's going to be in September. Um,
0: what are the actual dates?
1: Uh, September 27th through 28th. So we're going to have on the evening of the 26th. There's going to be an amazing welcome reception. Welcome reception. Um, at the Marquee Nightclub in uh, the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, which is where the, the conference is going to be, the Cosmopolitan. So um, save the date for sure. The The conference itself, the conference proper, will be September 27th and 28th, uh, day and a half. You'll be out by noon on Friday to either get back home to your family or enjoy Vegas for the weekend. Um, and then the evening of the 26th, if you can be there for that, that's going to be an amazing, unforgettable nightclub, hors d'oeuvres, drinks, food, everything provided. Uh, it's Yeah, it's going to be unforgettable. Mark will be there.
0: Yes, and an amazing lost wages, Nev. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I think what well, I think what we should do is I'll I'll leave with a quote that'll be a nice segue into the next podcast.
1: Let me before you do that, then let's uh, let's do a quick little. You are doing a. By the time this thing posts, you will be doing a webinar next week. Yes. And that is going to be what February thirteenth, I believe, at ten a.m. Uh, Pacific time. And this is I, I believe this is it's about time, right? Correct. And what do you Yes,
0: February 13, February thirteenth, ten o'clock
1: with Tobia. Yeah. And what do you what do you go into on, on, on It's About Time?
0: Well, it's based on my fourth book of the same title, It's About Time. So it's really about personal effectiveness. It's doing first things first, one thing at a time and finishing what you start. And how to get more of the right things done in less time. It's 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 really simple. It just isn't easy and most people it's amazing most people have never taken a time management course or they don't they just show up to work and just start working as opposed to you know having some marching orders for the day so i'll be going over some really fantastic information on how to how to be much more effective with your time and the distinction i like to make is, is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness is this efficiency is going up and down the ladder well safe or
1: fast effectiveness is making sure you're leaning your ladder against the right building <laughs> Yeah, well said. So you're going to be able to, uh, people who listen to this, I guess, will be able to go in that we were talking about earlier, just about, you know, trying to double how many calls you make in a day. So stuff like that, where you can do that without necessarily doubling your time investment in a day, if you're using your time more responsibly, more efficiently. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, that six things I need to do today is still something I do every single day. And it's a simple process. So I'll go into great detail about that.
1: And I guess you would and also want I- to to not just, I mean, obviously the, the focus is kind of how you use your time and it's going to help you with work. You're going to become more effective at work, but also I guess that's going to bring a little more balance to your life as well, isn't it? So you don't have to work more time with your kids. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah, so that's it. If you go to egia.org slash events, E-V-E-N-T-S, you can register for that. It's open to all EGI members. Excellent.
0: EGI membership offers contractors all the tools they need to run or grow a successful contracting business while freeing up your time and money and giving you your life back. EGI membership comprises four primary cornerstones designed to revitalize your business. One, world-class contractor educational programs. Two, cost-cutting discounts and rebates on products and services you use daily. Three, exclusive industry-leading financing offers. And four, actionable industry research delivered monthly. Stop running your business the hard way and head on over to egia.org join that's www.egia.org/join for more information about how, how egia can help you take your contracting business to the next level of success and this last quote i'd like to just leave the audience with is uh, is on attitude and that's what we'll start with next time it comes from Chuck Swindoll. he's a pastor from dallas texas uh, uh, he's an author bestselling author and this is one of those quotes that when i heard it the first time it you know it literally changed my life and I've read this probably a thousand times in the, in the last 25 years in almost every seminar workshop I do. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It'll make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every single day regarding the attitude we'll embrace for that day. We cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. The only thing we can do is play on the string we have, and that string is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me, and 90% how I respond to it. I'm in charge of my attitude. Until next time. As always, visit egia.org slash podcast to find this episode an archive of previous episodes and the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment. Links to the podcast on Apple and Google Play and a link to the latest EGIA Snapshot Survey. For more information about EGIA membership, visit www.egia.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. We'll see you next time.